Welcome to the Try Catch podcast, uh, sponsored by EI2. Today we have some special guests here to talk about a recent workshop that we had around experiment design. Uh, my name is Ashley Beeman, and I am an EI2 member and a project manager here at Farm Credit Services of America. So first of all, I'm going to introduce our podcast participants. And so I'm just going to ask you to say who you are uh, and what, you're what makes you passionate about experimentation. So Joshua, I'm going to start with you. Yes. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey, friends. Hi. I'm Joshua Berry. I'm the founder and managing director of Econic. Uh, we were honored to be able to come in and help with this experiment workshop. And we do innovation and strategy consulting work with a number of organizations around the US. Uh, what I'm most passionate about experimentation is I think it is a valuable skill set to be able to learn in all aspects of life. So look forward to digging into that more with y'all again today. Awesome, thank you. And up next we have Allison Dahl, who is also from Econic and another one of our workshop facilitators. So if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, that'd be great. Yeah, you bet. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Um, my name is Allison Dahl. I'm a consultant with Econic. And uh, in addition to um, what we do, we um, it's this is my favorite job that I've ever gotten to do um, because we exist to help people practice the behaviors that grow themselves and their businesses. And that means a lot of different things for different organizations. Um, but we're lucky to get to come to work every day and do uh, experimentation work and, and, and culture work and leadership work and helping people, you know, find what they're passionate about. And that, that calls me to work every day. So I feel really fortunate. Um, my background is in strategy and innovation work. I started my career at Gallup where I did, um, consulting work with clients out, helping people build strengths based teams and practice strengths based leadership, uh, and creating healthy organizational cultures. Um, and that took, that was inc incredible work, but it took me out on the road quite a bit. And my husband and I wanted to start a family. So then I started doing work here, uh, locally, uh, Mutual of Omaha and Blue Cross Blue Shield, where I was director of strategy and innovation. And that brought me to Econic. Uh, so now we get to offer it back out into the world and help uh, great partners and clients um, practice this work. And so I, I'm passionate about, same with experimentation. I practice this in my life. I, I I have brought this to my kids. They practice trying something new in a small way, thinking about what they're hoping to learn and, and building from there. So it's, it's something that um, I think we sort of naturally do as humans, but um, we, I practice it in professionally and then um, personally too. Great. Thanks, Allison. And next we have Ted Kaufman, who was a participant in the workshop. So Ted, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to participate. Yeah. Hello, everyone. So uh, Ted Kaufman, I am a business analyst uh, here at Farm Credit Services of America. And so really, it's kind of a two-part role. It's like one part is, uh, you know, analyzing data, kind of et cetera. Uh, and the second part of it is really um, all about uh, the team. And so it's the Scrum Master persona. And so what we're dealing with that is we're really looking inwardly at the team and kind of just figuring out like what works best for it and how do you set up that environment to have a very healthy uh, team and collaboration together. Uh, long time, uh, so I'm newer uh, to the company here, so it's wonderful to be here and to be talking about this. Um, long time, uh, 18 plus years at Creighton University's Yego Blue Jays. Mm -hmm. uh, but so yeah, so I've done a variety of things with uh, research kind of et cetera, where experimentation kind of comes into play, working with the research group, so I'm familiar with it. Um, but I really, what drew me to this class was how do we take um, and kind of 
with regarding that team environment, et cetera, like how can I really kind of break it out? And I have a lot of big ideas in my head where I'd like the team to go to eventually, but how can I kind of break that out into smaller increments and then really kind of see is it hitting the mark or is it not hitting the mark? And so that's re really what drew me to this particular workshop. Great, thank you. And we're glad that you participated and we had a great group of people that came to the workshop. So I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about um, how you prepared for the workshop and, and you know, determining the criteria and things that, the, that you wanted to bring to it. We re had reached out to you guys and said, we needed some help in how to break down experiments, especially as we're looking uh, for teams to be utilizing some of these skills within their innovation and planning sprints. And so we knew we kind of threw that at you guys and you took it and ran with it. But how did you guys prepare for this workshop? Uh, I can start with that one. <clears throat> um, before starting Econic, uh, about eight years ago, I spent quite a bit of time working with venture-backed startups. And one of the things that we saw during that time was that those who learned fast enough were the ones who typically ended up surviving. Uh, when we created Econic and we saw corporations who were more and more interested in figuring out how they too could learn and adapt and be more agile in their innovation efforts, uh, we started delivering a lot more programming and workshops uh, to, to companies. And uh, that's looked like everything from accelerator programs with John Deere to U.S. Bank to work over the last uh, several years here with Farm Credit Services of America. Each time, though, and in every one of those instances, it's a unique experience. And so we typically started with, in the preparation, talking to you all to figure out what is it that is maybe limiting you in achieving the things that you want. And... Uh, it's really starting with that, uh, also with an understanding, at least of what we had understood from, from uh, farm credit culture, that allowed us to then pull the right content uh, that we've seen used as best practices in other, uh, either corporates or startups, but then also to modify that specifically to the needs that you all had here. Uh, I'd say the second thing is that it's extremely important when you're doing something like this to actually practice, like Allison had mentioned. And so uh, part of the preparation was working with you and starting to ask Ted and others about the ideas that they would want to bring into the workshop so that it wasn't just uh, a lecture style thing, but it was actually the majority of the time was spent putting into practice those ideas around experiments. And actually there were people who got out of the classroom, literally out of the building, to be able to go and, and practice some of the things that we were doing in the workshop. Thank you. Allison, anything to add? Really just to, to emphasize that practice piece. I mean, we, we know that when we're thinking about, so a call comes, you know, it says, hey, can you help us to practice this new thing? Can you help us to think about innovation or experimentation in a little bit different way? Um, yes, we have this toolkit that we go, oh, this, this might be interesting to bring, uh, but really that collaboration back and forth to say, we want to meet you and the people who are attending where you are and kind of take that next step in the journey of understanding what techniques or tools we could use, or maybe three steps ahead um, during the time. But really, the application is the most important part. How can you bring something that matters to you in your daily work, maybe that you're working on right now, or there's, there was you know, even a few small teams that were working on something outside of the workshop. So they got to bring that in, and, and the, our hope is that we can kind of pull that actual work through the different concepts, learn a little bit, practice a little, learn a little, practice a little, and then, yeah, carving um, a pretty good amount of 
the the two days to bring all of the concepts together and go talk to someone outside of the room or start to validate ideas against um, a quote unquote external, you know, customer or someone mm-hmm. that's outside of the workshop that can give you some some feedback. So it's it's really about um, you know our hope is that we give you space to to learn and also practice something that you can take back into the everyday um, and and really put the concepts to work uh, when you go back to you know your day-to-day work for sure yeah and I I do appreciate you bringing up the the collaboration between us during the preparation I think when we first had proposed you know that we wanted you guys to come in and do something we weren't sure what and so I appreciated that we kind of gave you you know just a like a high level idea of what we want that we want to empower teams to be able to experiment in their IP sprints and you guys really helped us um, break that down right into what are some actionable items that they could go and do so that was awesome and that landscape really is so vast you Mm -hmm. know these these ideas of innovation there's so many different unique case studies or tools or techniques across the discipline that can be practiced in so much rich learning. So experimentation is one. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've done, you know, workshops in how to create a, a value proposition or share the sort of early business case so that you look across the organization and say, here's what we're learning. We think there's something here. Um, everything to testing products or developing products. The landscape is so vast. So that's what was so cool about your, your you know, initially in those calls is, is thinking, what, think of all the opportunities, all the places that we could, um, you know, th- could take this uh, and what's, what feels like the right first step. Mm-hmm. Um, and very appropriately, experimentation <laughs> was it. The whole process yeah. was an experiment, that's right? right? Um, so Ted, from your perspective, I know we reached out to the participants and said, hey, come with some ideas, right, yeah. of what you'd want to experiment with. How did that feel to you um, when first, you were preparing personally to attend the workshop? First off, I, I mean, I just love any opportunity where you know in advance that you're going to work on something that's actually beneficial, uh, as opposed to simply, like, you're going to come into this, we're going to teach you some, you know, standard stuff, and then you're going to walk away without this without anything. So I really just kind of appreciated that having that ability to, in the moment, kind of talk through something that you're experiencing and doing it. Um, so I'm a planner, so I put together a whole bunch of different ideas and stuff that I had coming into this and how I wanted to do it and things I wanted to run through it. And I was kind of like, can they give me the materials ahead of time, which you guys did not, but you know, I would have liked that. Um, so, but, so anyways, then I got into the actual classroom and I quickly realized that there were a couple other people on my team uh, that were there as well. And so as we were talking about different ideas, I, I, rather than work on something that I was thinking about and kind of prepped for, um, I quickly heard that there was an idea that like there was that I could collaborate with other team members and that there was really a value in that. So I quickly just said, hey, latched onto their idea and said, how about let's run with this particular idea here? So, mm-hmm. Great. Awesome. Thank you. So talking about some of the experimentations that happened within the workshop, uh, do you want to tell us more about that idea that you worked on yeah, with your group? To. So I actually got it pulled up right here, actually. It's kind of cool to be able to see. Uh, so what was lovely, actually, about this workshop, too, is that uh, again, they, I think you guys recognized up front that this is not a one and done. Like you don't come in, you don't all of a sudden run the perfect experiment. And so what I really appreciated was um, that they set us up with the mirror board. 
Um, you made it very easy where we could actually copy the Miro board as well. Um, so what our team did is we actually copied it over. Um, and then I have it pinned here, and I routinely am coming back to it and kind of looking at the materials that were presented. Um, but I'm also able to do sticky notes since it's a Miro board, et cetera, and really kind of customize the store area. So I got it right here. I don't know if this is the latest version, but essentially um, our thing, and again, uh, during the workshop, they kind of give us a lot of uh, scripts and prompts for for kind of how to do it. So it's how might we help uh, and then insert in value here. So Salesforce team members. So essentially anybody that is with Salesforce. Um, two, and again, like insert in here, uh, to better, uh, to build better uh, quality code. So we're really focused more here on the actual team members of Salesforce in particular. Um, so through or by, uh, non-intrusive, easily testable, uh, so that, uh, and then it reduces the impact of deployments and reduces the amount of time overall, uh, which makes more time for other activities. Uh, and again, this is kind of a pre-draft. We've modified several versions of this. As we go along, we'll probably continue to modify it. Um, but that was really the intent was, uh, and what was helpful about it often as a group is each person would kind of talk through it, and you have in your head the way you're thinking about it and visualizing it, but by actually sitting down as a group and talking through it, each person brings their perspective, you all word it slightly differently, and then you're able to talk through that and really come to kind of a common consensus as to something that you wanna to work towards together. Awesome, very good, yeah. I think, uh, I, I love the structure that you guys provided, so it was kind of like a plug and play for the people that were newer to the experimentation process to be able to have that uh, template to work from was really helpful. And I think we saw a lot of great experiments that came out of the workshop. So we had some um, that were specific to technology, which you know I think that was to be expected. And then I was also really surprised that people brought ideas to the table that weren't necessarily technology-based. So there are people that brought uh, some process improvement ideas that they wanted to experiment with. And it, I know that it helped kind of open my eyes that like experimentation doesn't have to be specifically for technology. It can also be, you know, how to implement, you know, new things in your everyday life or within the processes that you're doing uh, at your job or at home or anything like that. And it was cool to see the variation um, of ideas that people brought to the table. I, I agree. There, there was even a couple, right? There was that small group that was working on how they might better serve one of Farm Credit's outside nonprofit partners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was a fascinating idea. Another individual who was thinking about the uh, content community that he helps uh, uh, create and, and be a part of, okay, how might he continue to be of service to those people? And so mm -hmm. similar to Allison's point at the beginning, Anytime where there's a big idea or there's a lot of maybe potential risk or assumptions that are baked into an idea is the perfect place to be able to think about how you could break that down, uh, understand the assumptions that are being made, and then figure out some quick, easy, oftentimes cheap ways to be able to go test and learn against those hypotheses. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I really appreciate it as a participant how both of you really made it all about how this is something you can do across the board. So you can do it in your personal life, you can do it in your work life, you can do it everywhere. So, and I love the stories. Um, there was a lot of reflection uh, during the workshop as well. It's like, think about um, points in the past when you've tried something or done something, how could you have done that differently or broke that out differently? Um, and so there was a lot of reflective pieces built into the workshop. So uh, one of the best examples I think someone brought up in it was um, they, 
and we all have this, like ideas in our head where we're going to make a lot of money doing something. Um, so th the idea that was that they were going to, they had a bunch of tires or something, and they thought they could make uh, profit off of these tires. And so th they had a truckload, or I forget, a gar like I forget what it was. Like it was a really <laughs> was dump a truck. Tires. It was yeah. a lot of tires. And they were going to, like, this was going to be their get rich quick, or they were going to profit off of this heavily. So they took it down, the entire truckload of tires. So they take it down to the thing, uh, and all of a sudden they're rather shocked when they actually get a relatively high bill. Uh, and and so, th <laughs> yeah. so then the question was really about, okay, this is what you did, but how could you have treated that as more of an experiment? And then that's when you really saw that light bulb moment in the person's head where they're like, you know, what we could have done is we could have taken one tire down. Uh, and then we would have had a better idea uh, as to what the ultimate outcome would have been by doing that small experiment of one tire versus the entire mm. batch. I, I love that story. And it allowed us to talk about this idea about assumptions. Like, I have a hunch that I'm going to take these tires down to the place and I, they're going to pay me to take them off my hands. That's my assumption. That's my hunch. And it, it allows that, you know, that the person who offered that story was so gracious and allowing us to kind of say, okay, what, what would have happened if we would have tested that assumption or that hunch with just one? Mm -hmm. And, and then we zoom out and we all go, oh yeah, we've all done that either in our personal lives or at work. You know, we went out and bought all the whole software package before testing to see if it fixed the problem that we needed. And we had all of this, you know, software technology and we forgot to just test the one thing. We all have experiences like that. So those, those types of situations allows us, you know, in the workshop and then now continuing on to just sort of zoom out and go, when have, when have I done that where I had this, this idea or this hunch, this assumption about an outcome or an expectation and what would have happened or what could happen is if, if I take a really small, take one tire mm -hmm. and I go, t I go test that assumption uh, and, you know, sort of practice it going forward. I also love, um, Ted, how you, so describing what your, the, the idea that you all worked on and the structure that you mm -hmm. used, it, it rem it's a reminder of that all we have to have is an intent an intent. It's like this easy entry point into into thinking about how to build or construct an experiment. Your the intent of your group was to say, okay, we have this sales Salesforce deployment process. Um, our intent or our wish, our desire is to shorten those cycles or test things or code things, you know, in a slightly different way so that we might shorten those cycles. It's an intent and the, the world of opportunity of how, how could we do that or solve for that is so open that what I saw and observed with your group is that there was really a ton of idea generation mm -hmm. because you all sort of were looking at this intent or this goal, this desired outcome and saying, what are all the ways that we could do this? And you kind of, you could, you could use, you know, the divergent thinking, tons of that of this kind of zooming way out and saying, what are all the things that we could do? And then time to, to zoom in and say, okay, maybe what's one thing that we want to go test against knowing that we have these, you know, 10 or 12 other ideas that we could come back to yep. if we, if that initial assumption or that initial testing doesn't it, quite pan out how we, how we want it to. And what I really loved about the workshop is it really gave you that framework it gave you two things. It gave you a framework and it also gave you practical tools. And as I've dove into this a bit more, because uh, I like to dive into things, that's kind of just who I am. Um, but uh, essentially, like what you notice is there's a lot of tools for experimentation. But what I really appreciate what you guys did is you brought a framework that we could work through. You brought us some different tools that we could utilize. So for instance, I'm actually looking at here, um, it's this wonderful little thing where you were talking about assumptions. So it's, uh, you know, like, 
So you frame out your problem, you're, you're looking at the assumptions and whatnot. And so I love the fact that you brought a tool that was just a very simple grid. And so basically you have uh, high impact versus low impact, and then you have known versus unknown. And it's, hey, let's do that brainstorming. Let's talk about all the things that we, uh, like assumptions that we have for this. And then let's actually plot them out on something. And this is where there's really power is we often have these ideas in our head, uh, but let's like put them on paper and then let's actually start to separate these out into different quadrants and stuff. And so by doing that, we were able to kind of identify like things that, okay, yeah, that's kind of cool, but it doesn't really matter that much, but it allowed us to kind of decide where to focus our energy uh, because we all have a lot of energy, but we tend to run in a lot of different directions. And so what I thought the workshop did really well is it let you know where to focus your energy as a team uh, to like take that next step forward. Yeah, <clears throat> when you're talking about that assumption matrix, it makes me think about an extremely important lesson that we learned from startups that is even more important, but actually goes hidden oftentimes in corporate innovation. And that's most ideas don't die because uh, there's not enough activity around them, but mm -hmm. it's because we're not prioritizing and working on the right things. You know, in today's day and age with enough money and technology and resources, most anything is feasible to make. Oftentimes, though, it's not desirable enough to enough people or to make it a viable idea to, uh, to totally work on. And so uh, when we think about that, a lot of teams, especially in technology, will prioritize how should we do the thing, not should we actually mm -hmm. do this thing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you know, the tools that we use to, from an assumption matrix oftentimes allow us to focus early on in the desirability of something and then figuring out ways to actively prove that desirability, mm -hmm. you know, which may go into a second concept that we can cover here, which is uh, what's the difference between just asking somebody, like one of these Salesforce users, like, do you want this thing, mm -hmm. versus actually setting up an experiment that requires proof or mm -hmm. behavior that they're actually going to do the thing. I know I've been burned a number of times in some of my previous adventures. Uh, one of them was a side hustle around subscription boxes, where when I asked people, wouldn't you love this great thing? And they all say, yes, and wouldn't you pay $25 a month for this? And they're like, of course. Uh, and then when I actually put it out there, I get crickets, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, when we design proper experiments, we can actually get people to show and demonstrate the behaviors that prove that they're actually going to you know, put, put their money where their mouth is. I think that was also a key component of the workshop too, is that you set aside that time for people to go and ask, right? Mm -hmm. To meet with potential stakeholders in what they are experimenting with. And some people really ran with that within the workshop too. We had one person who was working on uh, kind of a SharePoint redesign who set up a room and um, asked for various people to come in and give him feedback throughout the time that they had to experiment. And I, I thought that was really powerful. And, and that room was busy. It was very like, busy. To paint a picture. I mean, there was like herds of people. Like mm -hmm. it felt like coming in and out of that room. There was a <laughs> lot of activity. They had a wall just full of stuff and they were just flying with ideas, etc. But really it goes to say how easily, like so often you like build out the perfect solution in your head um, that you want to do and you want this to be perfect and you want to have a really s smooth workshop, et cetera. I mean, they did not know they were going to do this before the workshop. Uh, like this was literally like spur of the moment they did it, they, but it shows you the value that you can put together in a very short period of time. You know, even thinking about the idea of limiting beliefs. Uh, so thinking about that room, the, 
many people in the workshop took ideas and went out and tested it. it that room just happened to be directly across from the room that we were in. <laughs> right. So we could observe what was happening, which was really cool. And yeah, there were there were a lot of people flowing in and out of that room and wanting to come in and offer feedback about this solution. And there was a whiteboard and people would grab a marker and say yes to this or eh, I'm not sure about this mm-hmm. um, and just would sort of collaborate in that easy, informal way. And we think, what would have to be true for us to just do that on, an, on a normal basis? And sometimes we hold the limiting belief that people are too busy. You know, we have too, I don't want to, I don't want to ask for people's time to be a part of this. Or I don't want to, I don't want to ask them to give some of their time um, knowing that people are busy. And what could we be limiting ourselves from inviting our either our collaborators at work or maybe there are customers to be a part of the solution building um, if we create a space for people to come in and weigh in you know an, an open room where they can just flow in and out as they as they are able to and add to this you know add to the solution or co-create it together so that that example was so cool because we got to watch it happening i think there was candy on the table too which <laughs> might have little details <laughs> yeah. little details I, th- I, I saw a few people just come in just for <laughs> something to, but they might have hung out for a bit to see what happens but uh you know just to remind ourselves that Wow, you know, we all want to be we want to be a part of the the solution creation for things that we use, um, and and what would it mean for us to invite each other into the into the the creation process? And I think a lot of it with any framework is really recognizing that like you're not going to be perfect at it upfront. It's going to take time and iterations to kind of get through it. Um, we've definitely noticed this here, like with implementing safe, etc. I mean, it's not perfect. We still don't have it figured out. We're still figuring it out. Um, but you got to start somewhere and you kind of iterate on it and you kind of move uh, from there. And you have to recognize that sometimes it's building those habits. It's that, you know, reminding yourself that you need to get input from people earlier, etc. cetera. Um, but you start to build that culture. And we have a great culture here in general about just being innovative, etc. But it's really about just providing that space uh, for people. And also just to mention, the way that you all have set up your workspace really enables that. It's this beautiful workspace with tons of collaboration. You know, so it's it's really cool to come into this building and see people taking advantage of uh, the open collaborative space. Mm-hmm. Helps get the creative juices flowing for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we, we talked a little bit about this earlier, too, that like people could bring in ideas that weren't specific to technology or even specific to their work life. And I know that some people were thinking about how they could run experiments in their personal life. And Ted, I know you've taken that um, avenue and have really ran with it. And I was just wondering if you would share um, how you are using the skills you learned in this workshop and some of your personal uh, endeavors. I would love to. So uh, coming to Farm Credit, um, this was a definite leap for me. I've always been very on the technical side of stuff. And so while I've dealt with people Um, I've never really had kind of that team-focused bit of it. So I've really been kind of running with the Scrum Master persona and really understanding uh, all the different hats and such you wear. One of those hats is coaching. Um, And coaching is very, uh, it's not what you think of. You often think of coaching as in uh, like somebody that's telling you what to do. Like in my mind, I picture like sports and stuff and the coach yelling out orders to you and doing this, et cetera. But really it's a very uh, deep concept that you dive into where it's all about uh, self-exploration and self-understanding. And as the coach, you're really helping the coachee, uh, you're guiding them through self-discovery essentially. Um, so all sounds great in theory. Went and got a, I went and got a baseline uh, certification on it. Uh, but now to get to that next level that I want to push myself towards, I actually have to have 
uh, hours, like I have to log 100 hours uh, doing coaching of different individuals. Rather intimidating uh, when you're doing it, and actually really intimidating when you're, you're first starting out because you mm -hmm. just don't quite know. Uh, you kind of have imposter syndrome in yourself. You're kind of wondering if you should do this. And then you also are, like in my mind anyways, I'm trying to build out the perfect coaching session uh, versus trying to do more of the experimentation. And so what I liked about the workshop was, hey, this is an opportunity to break it out a bit more. And so I asked myself, uh, and I love this, like, got a fancy little sticky note here. So, uh, you know, break it out. It's a little dirty at this point, but whatever. <laughs> I still know what it is. Break it out, uh, plan it out, and then iterate. And so it kind of just reminds me uh, from the workshop that, hey, don't overthink this. Like, break it down a bit. So one of the first experiments I actually did was uh, before I decided to actually put the energy into this advanced certification, well, Ted, you actually need to coach someone. And you need to know how does this feel to you as the coach, and then does the participant actually find value out of this? Um, so again, not building anything fancy. I just sat down with a coworker and I said, hey, do you mind if I coach you? This is going to be incredibly awkward for all of us, but let's go through a coaching <laughs> yeah. session. So I went through a simple coaching session and it was very powerful. Like I got a lot out of it seeing the light bulb moments. Uh, and again, by asking the person a series of questions, uh, I helped them to figure out like what their next step is to a problem that they have versus like consulting where you come in and tell them. Rather than this, I'm just asking them questions to help them to self-discover the process. Um, so went really powerful. So now it's like, okay, I want to do more of this. I'm really passionate about this. I want to do more coaching sessions. So I line up a few more people. I'm doing it. What I recognize, though, is just like it was odd to me that first coaching session because I had like ideas in my head of what coaching was that it's really not. Um, that others were struggling too, and I recognized other people are struggling. So then I'm like, okay, Ted, go back to this. Go back to this. How can you break this out? How can you iterate? How can you try? So what I thought was you know, wouldn't it be nice if you could do maybe a visual? So like instead of just verbally explaining the coaching process to someone and watching them struggle, why don't you try something different? So then what I started doing is I went and got a whiteboard. Don't have a whiteboard here easily, so stole this. Uh, so what I did essentially is, okay, so like here's the coaching session that you have here. This is where we're at today. So here is where you are at. Um, here is where you would like to be. Here are like, you know, you're going to be talking through this about, through this with me. Um, you're going to identify some obstacles. So let's go ahead and write out what those obstacles are as you're doing it. And then what I tell them is, again, the whole idea of coaching is not that I tell you how to get from here to here, but rather I ask you a series of questions so that you can figure out the path that best works for you. So for instance, I'm going to tell you to go from here to here. That would work wonderfully for me. It would not work for you. It would not work for you because we're all different. We have our different histories. We have our different backgrounds, kind of, et cetera. Um, but so then I told them, I said, I'm going to be drawing from your past history, et cetera, to figure out what that path forward looks like for you. Um, and then again, kind of working towards maybe a longer term goal, et cetera. So this worked really well for that particular person. Now, again, I didn't try this on everyone. I tried this on one person to really kind of see how it went, and it was a different version of this. And so by doing smaller iterations of it, I was able to kind of determine what works best for me and then some of the different people that I'm coaching. I, I love that example, Ted. Uh, and, and what I also appreciate, even as you're sharing that there, uh, you didn't wait till you had the perfectly, beautifully uh, stylized, branded you know, sheet, and this is my approach. Uh, you got started. Right. And that is the key to so much of this is to just get started and sometimes get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. um, also, people appreciate vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're meeting with a peer and saying, 
I'm just figuring this out. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the truth. You're being authentic. People love authenticity. And so um, more often than not, that ends up working out. And so uh, I applaud you for applying that. Good job. I'm curious, what do you feel like you have to summon? Like thinking about vulnerability is hard. And uh, what do you feel like in those experiences of trying something new um, and the different ways that you've tested the coaching model or how you're approaching mm -hmm. the sessions? What do you feel like you have to summon or like kind of prepare to, to be able to show up in that way? I look at it as in what is the alternative. So the alternative is you don't do anything or if you're trying to build out, like I, I like to have things be perfect. So for instance, earlier we were talking about languages and Josh over here knows Spanish. And like uh, he was telling us a story about how uh, he started Spanish like in you know grade school and stuff. And he, you know basically you can tell he's always had experimentation built in his head. I was the exact opposite. So I took one week of Spanish and I'm a perfectionist. I want everything to be perfect. And so I recognized in the first four or five days, I cannot perfect being Spanish. So I dropped out, I stopped mm. doing it. And, you know, but now I think to myself, it's like, what has happened if instead of doing that mentality, if I'd broken it out into smaller things? And so that's kind of how I looked at it with the coaching too. It's like, I can either build up this grand thing that I want to do that I'm never actually going to get to, or I can be vulnerable in that moment uh, on a much smaller section of it and take one little step forward. I appreciate you sharing that, Ted. It, it reminds me, uh, we do a lot of work with executive teams uh, mm. trying to move their cultures to be more adaptable and innovative. And uh, of the about a dozen leadership mindset shifts we talk to them about, mm. the number one that always comes up is the addiction to being right. Mm. So how can we help people end this addiction to mm -hmm. being right? Uh, especially when you start to reflect on so many things as we grew up in education or early work or performance management systems or whatever, all reinforces uh, the gold star and that mm -hmm. there is a right answer to things. And so it has to be an extremely, to your point, intentional, consistent measure to be able to say, hey, what am I going to do? What can the team do? What do leaders need to do? What organizational systems have to shift so that we at least have a fighting chance to try to end mm -hmm. this addiction? Well, and sometimes too, it's like um, what I really like, love about experimentation is actually that uh, if you fail, you fail on a very small <laughs> subsection that you can very quickly modify and change. And so, you know, some of the different things I've tried, because uh, I'm also trying, you know, different facilitation styles, et cetera. Some of the different things I'm doing in smaller increments is they're total failures. But what's lovely about the fact that it's a total failure is it was a small group that I was working with. Uh, it didn't matter that much, and now I'm able to adjust. And so when you look at this from, like, for instance, a product perspective, it's like imagine if you're failing on that smaller bit that then you can quickly adjust, and you don't have to email anyone because it was such a small little thing. Uh, it's not like you have to send out a company-wide announcement saying we flopped on this product because you're learning it very early in the cycle. Yeah. And oftentimes it's that fear of being wrong or the fear of showing something too early uh, that makes us continue to keep pouring more energy and more effort into it. And all of a sudden we have so much sunk cost into something that it makes it even harder right, mm -hmm. to be able to kill those things. And so oftentimes we get brought in because there's uh, what we call zombie projects that mm -hmm. are just walking around organizations that probably have so much sunk cost into them. And it's because we didn't, as you said, test mm -hmm. them early on when it was safer to fail. 
And, and I would say on the flip side too, so there is that fear side that can push you forward, but there's also the excitement side. So when you have a small win, when you have that light bulb moment that, you know, you do this the first time here and it's like, and somebody gets it, like somebody actually appreciates it. Like it's just such a warm feeling inside. Or for instance, the first time I coached, like you could tell you helped someone, uh, like that is just such an empowering thing. And so sometimes it's that the, the, if you get enough small wins, you can really build energy in those small wins as you're going along. So to that point, just thinking about those small wins, I'm just curious how you are measuring, you know, and getting feedback maybe from some of your coaching participants on, you know, their take on it. Uh, was it a win for them as well? You know what I mean? How sure. are we confirming that, that both sides are getting yeah. what they need out of that? So this is where I'm not perfect, either professionally mm -hmm. or, or in my personal side of stuff, because it is how, and I kind of recognize with some of those, these experiments I'm doing, is it confirmation bias? Is that what mm. it's called? Yep. Okay, so so essentially it's, uh, so confirmation bias, how I see it, and I'll let the experts explain it, it better. Uh, but so for, in layman terms, essentially it is that you run an experiment and then like you don't determine ahead of time what you think a win is going to be uh, before you run the experiment. You run the experiment then, and no matter what result you get from the experiment, you go, I win. So that would be confirmation bias. Uh, to avoid that, you really want to set up front, like what does success look like for this? Like what metric am I going to measure? And that way it holds yourself accountable after you run the experiment to avoid that confirmation bias. Uh, so, and this is where I'm struggling a bit. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of good at it, kind of not good at it. Um, so for instance, I make sure to build in feedback uh, to the participants. So like I tell them, hey, up front, uh, again, I'm trying different things here. Uh, and then after the coaching session, I'll say, hey, I'd like to get your feedback on a couple uh, different pieces of this. So I'll just ask some open-ended questions like, how did you feel about this? Uh, was this more beneficial than the last, or you know, how was this more beneficial than the last time? Kind of different questions like that to get some feedback. Yeah, the confirmation bias thing is interesting because we're, we're wired this way as humans. We're wired to look for things that confirm our beliefs. And so the idea is that when we set out to go learn something, we create sort of our best guess at an objective set of what would success look like. And then, it, and then when we get our feedback, it sort of reminds us to equally weigh the things that, that didn't go exactly as we thought they might or could be improved just as much as we celebrate what we saw that did go right. So it's sort of that reminder that we have, that we will only get better with our experiment or with our product or with our technology if we equally weigh and consider the feedback that will allow us to continue shaping and um, sort of improving the thing. In addition to celebrate, I mean, the, the learning is always a win. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully we're seeing things that say, yes, this thing is working. It sort of just forces us to, to balance with what else, other things that we're learning that we, um, that we set out to learn from the beginning. Um, but it's tough because it, we're, we're wired to look for things that, mm -hmm. that we want to be there, right? Yeah. Um, so it's that, it's that reminder. I do love the question, though, about how we're measuring the outcome uh, and this idea that there are things that we can measure with numbers. And then there's, there, there are things that, we're gonna, that we see in experimentation and that we notice that are um, not measurable. Mm -hmm. And those are just as valuable. It's like this head and heart mix you know it's this it's this intuition which we sometimes ignore we're like that thing is just not quite working i don't have a number to represent it um, but i know uh and so those things 
you know, in experimentation um, or even more broadly in innovation are just as important. It's like, oh, we have a hunch or we have an intuition or we have something that balanced with what kind of measurement or number can we can we capture that tells us whether this thing is is working or is not. Joshua and I, we so it usually he helps me to see the intuition. I'm I'm a I'm a blue brain analytical thinker. My background is in math and psychology. I have a master's in finance. I'm just, I'm drawn to what makes people tick. That's the psychology side, what makes great teams, what makes people tick and what drives people and the number side of it. So I'm, you know, I'm always kind of on the hunt for like, what's, what's in the background, what's happening with the analytical side. Uh, and Joshua, for you, I mean, we, that's part of why, that's why part of why I love working with you. Um, but we make a great team is that because you're a creative thinker a, you think visually and visionary and it's kind of this this balance of um you know instinct and then um also with the analytical side too. <laughs> yeah and i will concede uh, that many times uh, you do get to earn your way into metrics especially in the innovation space there's a whole field that we've made not we've made up but consultants have made up around innovation accounting uh, and there is value in thinking about how you can measure progress in some of these areas. Uh, one of my favorites uh, that I think mixes well with quantitative and qualitative is just, has learning occurred? Mm -hmm. So when working with teams, uh, sometimes we'll help them set up just a simple green, yellow, red uh, type of traffic light system that says, here's the top assumptions, for instance, for your Salesforce users, here's the three or four top assumptions we're working against. Mm -hmm. We meet together as a team and we say, has learning occurred? If we're all in agreement and the executive sponsor would agree, great, that's green light for this week. If there's some disagreement, or we think so, but the sponsor would probably disagree, maybe it's yellow. And if there was no learning that happened that week, well, then it's a red light. And uh, you can start to then you know, earn your way into some quantitative metrics, uh, but it more importantly is measuring, or at least as a proxy for some of those things that are most important, which is speed to learning and that you're getting some activity to be able to work against it. So I think there's a lot of places that uh, measurement actually has value in this space, um, as well as, as long as you keep the head and the heart in mind. Great, thank you. Uh, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about um, when people maybe run into roadblocks to experimentation, or you know maybe there isn't a lot of value placed on it in organizations. How do you get beyond that mindset so that people feel like they have a safe space to go try new things. You just said it right there at the end, and it was uh, when Ted and Allison were just speaking. Uh, it's extremely important that the team, that the leader, that the space is created for there to be psychological safety, right? If not, if, for you to know that I, I have to perform, well, then you're not going to want to admit when you don't know something or to be vulnerable, as you mentioned before. It's one of the reasons why creating um, you know, an accelerator space or like the HatchX program over the past few years or this workshop is important because you are artificially creating a safer space where it's okay for people to practice these behaviors. And so I'd say that's the very first thing that you need to do is figure out how can you, either among team practices or leadership exceptions or in some sort of experience, create a space for people to just get started on practicing these behaviors in a psychologically safe way. That idea of psychological safety is something that more and more organizations are recognizing as a critical component, not just to creating healthy, great team cultures, but to growth. 
Um, we work in spaces and organizations where our ideas and expertise and technical know-how has to come to the forefront in order for our organizations to continue to develop and deliver great things for our customers. A lot of it comes from you know, the brain power in the organization. So what has to be true about our culture to allow that to come forward? Um, and so now we started to call it psychological safety. It's a concept that's been around for 50 years. Um, in fact, it kind of came, we, most of us started paying attention when Google published the article, I think it was like 2010, 2011, around that time, where they, they were trying to answer the question of how do we create a perfect team at Google? Um, how do we create a perfect team? Like, does that exist? Does that even exist? So they commissioned this project called Project Aristotle to set out to answer that question. Spent millions of dollars. They studied, you know, 180 teams or so across their organization to try to answer this question. And what they noticed was um, that there were certain teams that looked more like, from a culture perspective, they were jockeying for power in meetings and they were challenging each other's ideas without, with more criticism than support or without the constructive piece of it. Um, and then they had these other teams that would you know, spend the first 10 minutes just chatting and catching up. They would email dumb jokes and they'd laugh in meetings <laughs> and they'd have these wild ideas and they were some of the top performing or teams in the organization. They're like, what is this? Keep in mind that at, at Google up to that point, the belief was you hire the smartest people, you put the best technical people and the smartest people in a team and that makes a perfect team. And so that was the assumption going in and through this discovery, it was this idea that, wait a second, there's something different about high performing teams and they have this thing and then people, uh, smart people, Amy Edmondson, if you're familiar with her work, came in, uh, smart people at Harvard said, it's what we're calling it a psychological safety. It's this idea that you're creating team cultures where people can bring their best ideas to work, their half-baked ideas to work. Not just the, not just the ideas that have all the evidence, but here's a, here's a, here's a weird or half-baked idea that I have. And they can debate and challenge each other and they feel supported. It's about getting to really great performance. So when, when you talk about, you know, what are the barriers or obstacles to, to innovation or experimentation, um, there, there could be a lot of things that could answer that question. Um, but, uh, but now what we're seeing more and more is organizations are working on this idea of how do we create spaces where people feel like they can bring their best selves to work? And there's a ton of really interesting, great case studies of companies that are practicing this in different ways, in really practical, sort of disciplined ways to ensure that they're hearing all voices across the table, they're welcoming diverse perspectives, um, and, and really creating a space for this idea of psychological safety to flourish because it's great for, it's a, it makes the workplace better, it makes us want to come to work in a different way, to show up in a different way, and it means that our innovation grows, and it means that we have more, you know, richer innovation and that that you know that helps us grow as people and uh, and for the organization as a whole it's absolutely something that has to be practiced though mm -hmm. right you can't just do a workshop um, similar to what we were talking about mm -hmm. with experimentation and just hope that it'll happen that's right, right. how yep. long is it you're in the middle actually of delivering a program for a large company and creating safe spaces to practice psychological safety is it like a four or five month program allison it's a six month program <laughs> this is a yeah and it's a it's a fortune uh 20 company uh you know 
multi-billion dollar company and they in their their research and development department of their organization again the recognition that in order for us to create great innovation we have to have great culture and so what must be true for us to create great innovation and it's an investment so we're we're working with um, hundreds of people across the organization to practice this idea um, around psychological safety and it's similar to how you know how we practice in our workshop and experimentation where we we're learning a little bit and then we're and then we're practicing and we're learning and we're practicing and, we're, and the idea is that we can create some habits um, both individually and then in small groups and then more broadly as organizations leaders play an outsized role it's it's the reality um, so they you know we're required uh, and, and many of us show up as leaders in formal ways and then also informal ways but it's a way for us to um, to practice those things to say what do we have to do to show up for each other so that we bring great ideas or half-baked ideas so we can debate and challenge and support each other along this journey um, but yeah it's a six-month program and um, you know it's uh, it's it's been exciting and interesting and fruitful and a lot of great discussion about how do we shape our culture in a way that we can continue to be a leading uh, world-class innovation organization. And to anyone listening to this that is a farm credit, which many of you are, and uh, so if you are a Farm Credit Services of America employee, uh, or if you would like to come join us and be an employee, <laughs> we have this baked into our culture here. So <laughs> you can definitely let me know if you disagree with no. this. Uh, but like, I am utterly shocked with the amount of resources that we provide here. So we have ODL, huge shout out to them. That uh, There are tons of workshops out there, so make sure you go out. If there's something you want to look at, such as this experimentation, you know, just boom, it's a couple clicks away to you being able to be involved. Um, anybody that's on our Scrum uh, train, so we are safe here. Um, so we built in that IP uh, sprint, and so basically it is two weeks, not a full two weeks, you got other planning and stuff happening there, uh, but we build in time uh, for employees uh, to experiment with different things and to get out there and to learn and to really kind of, you know, grow uh, yourselves. Mm -hmm. And so uh, lastly, huge shout out to my leader, Brett Rudder, uh, with the Salesforce team, uh, because honestly, like I've never had a leader that was so, uh, gave you space. And I think when you're talking about psychological safety, I think you're not just talking about how you are mentally, but you also have to give actual space. Uh, like you can't load up people's calendar and then expect there to be experimentation. That's right. Uh, and so what we have largely here is we work, and definitely on my team and, and across Farm Credit, we work to build in those safe spaces uh, where you can actually practice. And so if something is stopping you, you do a double check because it might be internal that's actually the blocker to you because we build in uh, space here form credit that's true and even just beyond the you know structured uh, ip sprints and things like that we really are practicing what we preach i can say just i was in a, a discussion yesterday where we were trying to brainstorm a new process and to start the conversation we're all laughing and joking and we just enjoy each other's company right yeah. and then we we're each throwing out ideas and some of them we giggle at and some of them <laughs> we're like oh that could work but by the end of it right we had a good idea that we're gonna you know go and try and experiment with mm -hmm. but the nice thing was is that like everyone felt safe to share the ideas and i know i had one that was kind of off the wall and they giggled at it but at the end they're like well, maybe we could try it you know so it, it is we're creating an environment where cool. people do feel safe to have those conversations and maybe throw out things that 
are a little bit quirky. <laughs> so well, I've well, also, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I've also observed that um, just spending time here with you all on this campus is in addition to creating an investment in creating a great workspace, also your deep commitment to understanding and delivering for your um, for your customers, for people who are out looking looking for help from farm credit. And so being here, I feel the energy of, of people who are out talking to customers, you know, face to face and all the ways that you're doing that. So it's sort of, it's this blend of how do we come together as a group? And I think in every single conversation that I've been in with, with you all at, at Farm Credit is, is how do we deliver for our customers and continue to innovate on their behalf and continue to offer services and technology and, you know, offerings that meet, meet our customers where we are. So that's something I, I really can feel every single time that I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely too, it's recognizing that, I mean, experiments often are gonna fail, but a short-term failure can actually turn into a long-term success oftentimes. So for instance, there's a classic, I was just reading about it, um, 3M, uh, so makes a variety of different products, etc. cetera. Uh, but they uh, recognize that not every uh, experiment is going to be a success at first. So for instance, there's a famous thing uh, so this wonderful little sticky note that I have right here, uh, again, uh, so there's this, uh, it actually came from a failed experiment, the sticky note did. So what was happening was for a totally different product, they were trying to build a super adhesive glue. Uh, and so the glue that came about was a super weak glue. But rather than just throwing away and saying it's a failed experiment, um, they actually, the guy just said, hey, if anyone else here in the company wants to use this, like I made this product, it, it just doesn't fit the needs that we have right here. And so somebody else in a different department was like, was tired of, had a book open and was so tired of the bookmark falling out. And he was like, hey, I could use that little glue to make the perfect little bookmark that is sticky, but unsticky. And so that failure turned into a long-term success for the company. Great story. Where would we be, where would we be without sticky notes? Where would we be? I would <laughs> Agile My would exist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I do, I love that story though, because you know, it's, oh, what can we make of this thing that it, it didn't get what we intended, but it's this other, it's this other opportunity that we have and let's not throw it away. Let's, let's put it on a post-it. Let's create the post-it. All right, guys. Well, I think we've had some wonderful discussion here. Thank you for, you know, sharing all your experiences and your passion around experimentation. Um, If you had to, you know, sum up in a few words uh, guidance on how someone can get started, you know, that was kind of why we had brought you in to initially is that how do we even come up with ideas to run in our um, innovation and planning sprints? So if you could give you know, some ideas of, of how people can get started with experimentation, uh, just to sum up what we talked about here today. That'd be great. Uh, where I was going was a little bit more philosophical, so somebody can get practical <laughs> into this. Uh, the, the get started. <laughs> is to realize that that's the key, is just to get started, but how you get started is important. And, and not the tactical, though, though you please give some good tactics here. Starting with good intent, with generosity, with optimism. When you underlie with those types of principles and you just get started, a lot of other great things happen as a result of that. You know, there's, there's a, uh, somebody coined the term for me, generous naivete. 
right? There's there's very few things that fail when you're, you know, to your point earlier, you're joking around, you have quirky ideas, you're putting it out there, but everybody trusts that you have positive intent and they care about each other in that room. The how you do it can shift and change and be wrong and everything, but if you continue to have a firm foundation of the why that you're doing some of those things, you're gonna go a really long way. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yes. <laughs> yes to that. <laughs> yes to philosophy. I think you're. I think you're passing it over to me for for a tactic, uh, practical. I just want to say yes to generous, uh, generous naivete. Um, if I had to say what might be helpful to think about from a practical perspective in getting started, there's a couple things that come to mind. Number one, uh, grab a grab a friend, grab a partner, someone you can bounce ideas off of and that can sort of share in the journey with you and who's willing to um, kind of learn and experiment with you. And maybe even someone who can be a quote unquote customer um, thinking about who, who are you pro solving this problem for? What is the problem and who are you solving it for? And if there's someone who's willing to go on that journey with you as, as a customer, uh, sometimes customers are willing to co-create with us as well. So that would be my first thing is find a, find a friend, find someone who you can um, who maybe even thinks about a problem differently from you and team up in that way. Um, the second thing would be jot down some things that you want to learn. Um, and if it starts with a really, really big thing or a big dream, uh, jot that down first and then kind of break it down into smaller pieces. Break it down into smaller pieces and say, what could I, what could I go learn first that would be like one inch in this mile journey? What could be first? Um, one of my favorite questions that I use all the time is, what would have to be true for this thing to, to be a great success? Or what would have to be true to bring this idea into a reality? And what it does is instead of us thinking about, okay, what, what do I have today? And what limitations are there? Instead, it shifts our thinking into imagining that this thing already is there. And what would have to be true to create that reality. It shifts us into thinking the kind of what if type of thinking. So a question like that can can sort of help to break down a really big idea or dream into smaller pieces. Um, I think really, Ted, what you have on the post-it note is a great way, a very practical <laughs> way say, to get started. You stole my yeah. thunder. Like, <laughs> literally, I'm gonna say here, and I'll reiterate, just break it out. Uh, and this is coming from a planner. So everybody is different, you know, do it your own unique way. But uh, for myself as a planner, it's really break it out plan it out and it's really the reverse and then iterate is what you can't see there <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's flipping those two around so as a planner i tend to want to make things perfect uh, and so it's really getting over that mental mentality of uh, making it perfect and instead breaking it out first and then planning it out mm -hmm. it's still important to plan it out but break it out yep. Th that reminds me of uh, bj fogg uh, behavioral design uh, individual uh, book tiny habits it, one of the concepts in it is to break down your new behavior or activity you want to do down to almost the most ridiculously small thing possible. So, so don't set, I'm going to work out five times a week. Just start with putting on your gym clothes and call that a win. Or, or don't start with, I'm going to do 100 push-ups uh, every week or something. Start with 
laying on the floor <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and reward yourself at that, right? If you can get started with the very smallest little action there and whatever it might be, chances are it's a lot easier to get to the next action. Doesn't even need to be the right action, but yep. at least getting started with a small action. So break it out as small as you possibly yep. can. To and just also get I'll add one thing to that is maybe talk it out too. So just go grab someone, uh, a friend, a coworker, kind of whatever, and just talk it through a bit um, mm-hmm. because they may bring you a fresh perspective or something that you hadn't been thinking of. So that's a way to overcome that hurdle as well. Great, thank you all. Thank you, Joshua and Allison, for you know really bringing our vision to life with the workshop. Um, we got great feedback from the participants that it was very valuable. They want more, <laughs> right? And thank you, Ted, for coming and, and participating in the first workshop that we had and being so passionate about it. It's been great to see how it's really impacted your life professionally and personally. It's really inspiring. Um, If there is anybody uh, internally here at Farm Credit who is interested in learning more about the experimentation process, please reach out to EI2. We would be happy to help uh, get you the resources that you need to get moving on that. And then I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for tuning in to the Try Catch podcast. It's been a pleasure and looking forward to working with all of you again in the future. So. And credit to you, Ashley, for being our our guide and our leader and our host for today. So credit to you as well. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.